morning. We're certainly glad that you're here uh, to share this day with us. It's going to be a good day. Um, as we kind of wrap, get our minds and hearts ready for worship, I invite you to hear these words from Psalm 66. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Tell the world how glorious he is. Everything on earth will worship you. They will sing your praises and shout your name in glorious song. And that is why we're here, isn't it? To sing and to worship the name of the Lord. So I invite you to fully enter into these moments today as we tell the world how glorious our God is. Will you bow with me in a moment of prayer? God of our salvation, it is our desire to give glory to your name and to celebrate uh, your love and faithfulness. So receive our worship today. Hear our prayers for the sake of the one who loves us and gave himself for us, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let me give you a little context about today's message. It's entitled, Willing to Risk, and we're uh, beginning a new series uh, for the month of June called Being an Overcomer. You know, followers of Jesus have been given different names through the centuries. At first, we were called Christians, which simply means Christ ones. Uh, after that, the uh, early Christians were often known as disciples, meaning learners. The Apostle Paul addressed the Christians as saints, those who were set apart for God. But the Apostle John suggests another name for Christians, and he calls us overcomers. A Christ follower is one who overcomes, and we are uh, we are called and expected and to experience joy and victory in our Christian lives. But we know that this world brings problems and, and obstacles and barriers that we have to deal with. And whether or not you are an overcomer has nothing to do with the circumstances around you. It has everything to do with the commitment inside of you. Every one of us has circumstances and issues to deal with in life, and the key is how we deal with those circumstances. So today, we're going to get into sharing that a little bit and use as an example uh, a great person of faith from the Old Testament. Today, we'll also be sharing in Holy Communion together and singing some great music, and so I invite you to just leave the cares of this world aside for a little bit as we enter into the presence of God. Join me in prayer, will you? God of hope, thank you for the glimpses of your goodness and your faithful love that lift us out of our routines and even out of moments of despair. We are grateful that you fill our lives with good things. You're constantly stirring new life in us. Renew us today in your image and prepare us through the music and the word and the sacrament for the life that we will one day share with you in eternity. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned earlier, today we're beginning a new teaching series looking at the life of um, one of the most famous Old Testament characters, a man by the name of Moses. Moses has always been a central figure in the history of our Judeo-Christian faith. In 2014, a major motion picture called Exodus, Gods and Kings, was released, which chronicled the life of Moses. Maybe some of you have seen it. And who can forget one of the most beloved films of all time, The Ten Commandments, starring Charlton Heston, which also had a lot to do with Moses' life. But the life of Moses covers four books of the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the only other person to get that much attention in all of the Bible is Jesus himself. The events of Moses' life are certainly central for the people of Israel. It was Moses who was used by God to send the plagues on Egypt, which is what led Pharaoh to finally set God's people free from slavery. And those events are still commemorated in the most holy celebration of all Jewish life, and that is the Passover. It was also Moses who received the Ten Commandments, which began to establish God's law for his people to live by. And it was Moses who led the people through the wilderness for 40 years as they made their way to the promised land. One of the themes that runs through Moses' life is his capacity for overcoming great obstacles. From his birth to his death, to his death Moses faced uh, challenges that seemed insurmountable. And while at times he told God he was ready to give up and walk away, he never did. And by facing those obstacles with faith, what formed in Moses was a spirit of overcoming. Now my hope is that looking at the life of this great man of faith over the next few weeks, we can learn from Moses how to overcome the challenges and the obstacles that we face in life. Because it is only by overcoming that we will ever have the full and productive and abundant life that Jesus came to offer. Today we're going to start at the beginning of Moses' life and look at the history into which he was born. So in Exodus chapter 1, beginning with verse 6, we read these words. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. If we don't, and if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then, we, uh, then they will escape from the country. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build the cities of Pithom and Ramses as supply centers for the king. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the fields. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shipran, Pua. When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. And if the baby is a boy, kill him. If it's a girl, let her, let her live. But because the midwives feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives. Why have you done this, he demanded. Why have you allowed the boys to live? The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, the midwives replied. They are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. So God was good to the midwives, and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, they gave, he gave them families of their own. 
Then Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. Now Exodus chapter 1 paints a picture for us, doesn't it? When Moses was born, life for the Hebrew people was hard. It was getting worse by the day they were slaves in Egypt. And while for many years they had been treated well, a new Pharaoh comes into town who has changed all that. And now they they are facing an impossible situation. They are expected to do more and more and more work, but they're given, uh, not given the time and the resources to do what was asked of them. In time, Pharaoh became afraid that the Hebrew nation would get so large that they would become a threat to his own people, so he issued a decree that all the boys were to be killed as soon as they were born. And with that background, Moses should never have survived. He was literally destined to die just moments after he was born, but he didn't. Moses survived because there were women willing to do something to help overcome the situation. Now, one of the most fascinating aspects of Moses' life is actually seen in the months surrounding his birth, and it has to do with the role that women played in his survival. Remember that women in ancient times had little status and no authority, and Hebrew women had absolutely no standing and no power. First, they were Hebrew, which meant they were slaves, and second, they were women, which meant they had no rights. They were powerless, and yet they didn't let that situation stop them. A few women were willing to take courageous steps to save little boys, and because they were willing to overcome their history and take some risks, Moses' life was saved. And it wasn't just one woman, it was several. First, there were the two midwives, Sipron, uh, Shipra and Pua, who were told to kill all the baby boys as they were born. But in faith, they risked their lives and they disobeyed that law to allow the Hebrew boys to live. And because of their courage, they were, over, they were able to overcome the plans of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, however, just doubled down and he said that all the boys who were born were to be thrown into the Nile River and die. Once again, Moses should have never survived. He should have been thrown into the Nile as an infant, but he wasn't because his mother risked it all to hide him. And once again, the courageous acts of a woman helped overcome the fate that awaited Moses at his birth. And then when the child got too large and too loud to hide any longer, it was once again her courage that told her not to toss Moses into the river, but to send him out on the water in a basket. Look at Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. About this time, a man and woman from the tribe of Levi got married. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she was no, could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. She put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. The baby's sister then stood at a distance watching to see what would happen to him. And soon Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along the riverbank. And when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? 
she asked. Yes, do, the princess replied. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Now notice again the role that women play here. It wasn't just the courage of Moses' mother, but also his sister who had kept watch on the basket. There was also the kindness and the courage of Pharaoh's daughter who rescued Moses. This Egyptian woman defied her father to take in this Hebrew boy and allow him to be nurtured by a Hebrew woman. So without the courage of these women, Moses would have never survived. And because these women were willing to take some pretty big risks, Moses didn't just survive. He moved from poverty to power. Moses went from a life of slavery to a life in the palace, a position of authority. So at the very beginning of Moses' life, we see him overcoming great obstacles. He should have never survived infancy, but he, but he did. And he should have been a slave but he wasn't. Through God's hand and faith and courage of some women, Moses overcame his history. God opened the door so that overcoming his history was possible. And you know what? God still opens that door today. Too many times we look at our lives, I think, and see where we've come from. And maybe it's been through a difficult family uh, life or a community or a culture into which we were born and assume that we can't amount to anything. And yet the very life of Moses teaches us that we can overcome our history. The women around Moses didn't allow their position to keep them from overcoming Pharaoh. And because of their courage, Moses went on to live a good life. Moses shows us that we can overcome our history. Where the world may see no potential or power, God sees great possibility. While we look at ourselves and maybe think that we can't amount to anything, God looks at us and sees infinite value and the ability to do great things. Where we may not see a future, God sees great plans for us. Overcoming our history first requires us to have faith in God but it also requires courage to, take, to step out and take some risk. It requires the firm conviction that God made everything good. God makes all things and calls them good. That's the message of the creation story, isn't it? All life was created good. We hear it also from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. We are the work of God, and God has created us to do good things and to have a good future. And if we can trust the God who created us and calls us good, then we can overcome any family, any culture, any environmental stuff that might tell us something different. Overcoming our history calls for faith. And it also calls for courageous steps of faith. One, one of Jan and I's good family friends uh, was a longtime teacher in a difficult urban public school system here in the state of Michigan. And over the years, I've heard her talk often about working with children from some very difficult family situations. Many of these kids were born into these difficult circumstances, and they had everything in life stacked against them. 
They didn't have money. They didn't have power. They didn't have stable homes or the love and encouragement uh, that, that many of us have to, to enable us to succeed. These are heartbreaking stories of families who are living in homes that some of us wouldn't even walk into. Parents more interested in drugs than providing for their children. These are obstacles that seem insurmountable at times, uh, at times to those who, of us who just want to provide a safe haven for them and help these kids overcome their history and move on to greater things in the good life that God has for them. But you know, with the help of others, some of these kids have taken courageous steps of faith and overcome their history to accomplish more than they ever thought possible, more than they could do alone. Many people have succeeded in overcoming their history. A few years ago, our staff was at Willow Creek's Leadership Summit in August, and we heard a woman who, uh, from a woman who overcame her difficult history and is serving God in some phenomenal ways today. Her name is Christine Kane. She was abused by several men at a very early age, and she says, when you're abused, you think God can never really do anything with your life. You can hear a thousand sermons on your destiny and purpose and God having a plan for your life and plans for good and not for evil, but deep down, you never believed God could use you. Certainly has been the fight of my life, she says, to get to the place of trusting God to redeem the broken pieces of my life for his glory. And as we see for Christine, the first step was learning to trust that God could love her and had created her for something better, something good. Once she began to believe this, she was able to continue to overcome her history by taking some small, courageous steps of faith. Christine began to attend church, and she stepped out and volunteered in the youth ministry of that church, and she said, when nobody else would stay and clean up, I swept the floors. I remember even cleaning the toilets as well. I remember holding that toilet brush and doing it as unto God with passion. See, those were courageous steps of faith for her and as she walked on in this journey, Christine got some counseling to help her overcome some of her own broken history so that today she's able to reach out and help others overcome their own broken and painful history. Today, Christine is the co-founder of a group that helps rescue women and men and children who have been victims of human trafficking. You know that every 30 seconds, someone becomes a victim of this modern-day slave trade and the average age of those kidnapped and forced into slave labor and prostitution is 12 years old. There are more people in slavery today than at any point in human history, something we've not yet heard enough about, and only one to two percent of them will ever be rescued. See, with faith in the God who created us and the God who calls us good and the courage to take some risk, Christine overcame her own history and is now one of those people who's willing to take some great risks to help others overcome their history. She's just like Shipra and Pua and Moses' mother who risked it all to overcome Pharaoh and set the stage for Moses to overcome his history. The story of Moses tells us that we can overcome our history. It doesn't matter where we've come from. It doesn't matter uh, what seems to be working against us. God created us for something good. And so God is making a way for us to overcome all the obstacles, all the struggles that life can throw at us. The story of Moses tells us that we all need some help in overcoming our history. 
Moses had the help of many women, and their courage gave Moses the opportunities that he needed. There are people today who are trying to overcome their history, people all around us who realize God's potential for their lives, and they need our help. It might be people who are victims of human trafficking. It just might be children or youth in our community who need mentors, who need love. Overcoming history doesn't just happen for anyone. It's a choice we have to make at some point in our life to believe and trust God enough to take some courageous steps of faith. Overcoming history also happens because we make the choice to step out with courageous faith to help others overcome the history in their life. My guess is that in a congregation of this size, there are a lot of us who have something in our history to overcome. I don't know what that is for you, but I'm fairly certain that you do. Near the end of the New Testament, in the epistle of 1 John chapter 5, we read these words, for every child of God uh, defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Here the Apostle John says that Christ followers overcome the world. And that's our problem, isn't it? The world. What is the world? The world is Satan and his plans. The world is sin and its pressures. The world is suffering and pain at so many levels. The world is sensuality in all of its pleasures. The world is everything that stands in opposition to God. What does the world do? It tries to destroy our Christian faith. It tries to distort our desires. It tries to confuse our value system. It tries to dilute our interest in God and God's word. It tries to squeeze us into our, its mold and it tries to draw us away from God. The problem is the world which tempts us to forget who we are and whose we are and to live beneath our privileges. It's a great little story about a man who went to a little league baseball game one afternoon and he uh, saw a little boy sitting in the dugout and he went over and asked what the score was and the boy responded, it's 18 to nothing, we're behind. Wow, said the spectator, I'll bet you're discouraged. Why should I be discouraged? Replied the little boy, we haven't even gotten up to bat yet. <laughs> See, that's the spirit of an overcomer. That's a spirit of an overcomer. First John chapter 4, verse 4, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. You have already won a victory. Because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. 